This past week, we got to witness a natural phenomenon unlike any other. And I'll admit it, I I was not all that awe-inspired leading up to it. But as I stood outside and looked up at the sky during the eclipse on Monday, that was awesome. Anyone here not see it? It was a pretty incredible thing. But it made me think about some other things. As it should, you know, the psalmist tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God, that the firmament declares his works. So even in that natural phenomenon, we see the glory of God, God revealing something about himself, even in those rare occurrences. In fact, maybe that's what makes it more special is that it's rare and it takes something rare like that to get our attention so that we can hear a special something from God in that. But the eclipse, the moon, covered the sun. We won't deal with the distance ratios and all that that made it happen. That's just go back to a primitive line of thought. And the moon covered the sun. It went right in front of the sun and we could not see the sun. And people cheered. And you heard news reports of people in Nashville stopping on the freeway and, and cheering downtown. And it was a pretty cool thing to see, but what a sad commentary about the truth of our culture, the truth of the world that we're in, that the world cheers when the darkness reigns. Not just when the sun is covered, but when the glory of the Lord is obscured in our world, the world cheers. And we, we see that as, as a scriptural truth. John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, he says, And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Amen. The world loves darkness. The world cheers when the glory of the Lord is obscured. And I thought that that's not, that's just like the Pharisees and the Romans that cheered when Jesus was crucified. And in fact, sometimes we give Satan too much power, too much credit. You know, Satan has a lot of power because he is spirit. So he's not limited by space so much, but he is not omnipresent. He is not omnipotent. And he is not omniscient. He does not know the end from the beginning. And while he knew the word of God and knew the revealed word of God just as much as any of us on the earth do, he still did not have the wisdom of God to understand its full impacts. And I can't help but think That as the Son of God died on that cross, and then as they took him down, dead as dead can be, and put him in a tomb, and they rolled a stone, and it covered the light of that entrance, just much like the moon covering over the sun, so that all of a sudden the light that had come into the world was obscured, that he cheered. I heard Brother Ron uh, give a message at the minister's school a couple years ago called, Aha! 
And while the topic is slightly different, I can see where Satan may have said, Aha! Bruise my head, will you? And that stone rolled in front of the tomb. And the light was obscured. And it was longer than two minutes. But three days. And that stone starts rolling to the other side. Yeah. I don't think Satan saw that coming. He knew that God had been telling him he would be defeated. But in his pride, he did not see how or when... Or what manner of defeat would come his way. In fact, in his pride, he thought, I'll show you. But let's remember that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. Another translation that is the darkness could not overcome the light. Now I was reminded of that as the moon began to move out of phase. And the light came back into view. You know, a word of caution for us, though. Because we've seen the light. We've been shown. Praise God, we've seen the light. But we need to be careful because the church of the Lord, in fact, the, the individual people of the Lord, we can be much like the moon. You know, the moon is a glorious light in the sky, giving light to the night sky. We, we look at it and without an educated guess, without the educated knowledge of knowing what's going on, we look at it and say, oh, look, there's a light for the night also. But we know from, from science and because God has revealed it to us in letting us learn science that the moon has no source of light on its own. The only light it has is what it reflects of the sun's glory. If we allow the sun to shine, then the moon reflects its glory. Likewise, we, as the children of God, as the church of the Lord, if we allow the sun, S-O-N, to shine, then we reflect His glory. But conversely, if we get in the way, how can we get in His way? Well, we can get in his way by vaulting our traditions. Our legalistic dogmatism. Our pride. Our pride that that we know the right way. We have the way. Our pride that we are the Lord's church. Our pride that we have had success, that, oh, we've had this many professions this year. We've baptized this many people this year. We're having success. Our pride in our programs or in our missions, 
because of our pride, because of the things that define us and that we allow to define us instead of the Lordship of Jesus Christ defining us. We can get in his way and we block the light of the sun and reflect nothing. And then just like the world, the world will cheer when the glory of the Lord is obscured. And we will, if we're not careful, we will bask in those cheers and somehow think that we're bringing him glory. Church, let's be careful. Amen. To be sure that we are not being like the moon and blocking the sun. We must get out of his way. If we are to really shine, we've got to reflect his glory. We have seen the light. And it's by grace. Let us remember that. A lot of times, and like I said, it's our pride. A lot of times we get arrogant about the fact, especially especially in this current culture and in this current age, we hear a lot of times a lot of well-meaning people will say things about the good old yesteryears. Back years ago when I was a when I was a child, we'd have revival meetings and the altars would be filled and people would be getting saved left and right. And the unspoken insinuation is that the culture has changed. That it is the fault of the culture. That it is the fault of the people that refuse to seek the Lord. Well, yeah, it is. But it was the same a generation ago. And it was the same ten generations ago. And it was the same on the day of Pentecost... When you had a Roman culture that thought it was sporting to throw Christians in the ring with gladiators and lions. That's right. At least we're not there yet. So has the culture really changed? The world loves darkness just as much as it ever did. So if we're not seeing our altars filled like we once did, we can't blame the culture. Can we blame God? Has he changed? Has he changed his will that all should be saved and that that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance? Has that changed? Has he lost his edge and is no longer able to save 3,000 or 5,000 in one setting? No. So what's left in the equation? The church has changed. And I'm not trying to lay down an accusation on on what has changed in your church or in my church or in any other church that's represented here. But the Lord's churches have changed if the results have changed. Have we become like the moon? And have we set in a place where we're blocking the glory of the Lord? Because we see that in our arrogance, we'll look our, down our noses at a generation that just, they just don't have any morals. Well, of course they don't. They love the darkness because their deeds are evil, but is that their fault? I'm sorry, I didn't mark all of my passages. Um, they're all short. Uh, you can turn this one with me if you want. I'm in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and a little bit more before I get to that and gives you a little bit of time to turn. We have seen the light. But let's remember that that is God's grace. 
And not be arrogant or prideful about that. And because we have received compassion, because we have received mercy, we should extend mercy. Because we have received compassion, we must extend compassion. And that is our ministry. Amen. That is the ministry that the Lord gives to us, is that as He has shown mercy to us, let us demonstrate that mercy to the world, so that His glory may shine through us, and through us, people may see a light and come to Him and seek Him. Amen. So at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1-7, through 7, Therefore seeing we have this ministry, Amen. what I just said, therefore seeing we have received this ministry, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And here's where we get to what I was talking about. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. It's not their fault. We must remember that. We must remember that we were once slaves to the God of this world. And our eyes, too, were blinded, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine upon us. But God, in His grace, removed the blinders from us. So rather than being arrogant, let us press forward prayerfully, still holding to the truth, never compromising that, never never handling the Word of God deceitfully like so many of the factory churches are today, with easy believism and easy salvation, cheap grace. That's the deceitful handling of the Word of God. Let's not do that. But hold the truth forward. And pray that God may remove the blinds from their eyes as He did for us. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord. And ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency, excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Amen. How dare we be arrogant to say that we know a better way, as though that were something in and of ourselves. How dare we hold ourselves up as a better breed of person like sometimes we are wont to do. Like sometimes I am wont to do. I look out at a world that doesn't seem to have any class or mores. And I find myself going. As though I'm better than they. If I'm better than they. It's not anything of me. But it's all the working of God in me. So therefore seeing I have received mercy. He's given me a ministry to be merciful unto others. And to get out of his way. You know, the thing that struck me as the eclipse moved in, and then also as it moved out, you saw just this tiny, this tiny sliver of the sun. Like, now you see it, now you don't. It was, it was that small. It was so tiny. Just a tiny sliver. 
But when it was covered, the lights went out. But once it started to move, you saw just a tiny sliver. Some estimates say anywhere from 3 to 6% of the sun. And yet it was enough to light up the whole earth. Amen. Amen. 3 to 6% of the sun's glory lit the earth and it was day again. And I've wondered sometimes, I have this habit of when I've preached somewhere, I'll ask Jessica or I'll ask someone who was there that I trust, how was that? And, and I know, I know that I'm not looking for man's applause. I know I'm not looking for man's praise. And actually, if they want to get critical about the mechanics and say, well, your syntax is terrible and you used bad grammar in a wrong tense. <laughs> if you want to, sure, I'll take it under advisement. But I wondered, what is, it, what is it that I want to know? And it strikes me, what I want to know is, did I get out of the way? Did I get out of the way? Was the Lord's glory able to shine through just a little Amen. bit of what I said? We can often be like the moon. And I say that as a warning for the Lord's church, but also as an encouragement. Because I want us to remember that when we get out of the way, no more than a sliver, just 3 to 6% is enough for the glory of the Lord to shine through a congregation and light the entire community and the whole world. Brother Ken Hackett likes to say, don't be too hard on yourselves. And I'll say it too, don't be too hard on yourselves. If you're like me, and sometimes you fret about the fact that, Lord, I'm too prideful, how can you ever use me? Lord, how do I get out of my own way? How do I get out of your way? Take courage, brothers and sisters. Amen. Because let me tell you, from the second that you start to bow your head in that much humility just to say, help me get out of the way, you've uncovered probably 3 to 6% of the glory of the Lord. Just that little bit. Don't be too hard on yourselves. Be encouraged that with just a little bit of humility, just a little bit of knowing that I can't do it on my own, that there is nothing good in me, but all the good resides in Him. In that little bit of bowing and prostrating yourself, even if it's just this, You've uncovered a sliver of the glory of God that may shine through you. Amen. Now are we going to settle for that? No. No, pray for more. Pray for more because here's the amazing thing. If 3% of the sun's rays will light up the entire world, what power might shine through a fully surrendered life? If we can get ourselves 100% out of, out of the way, what kind of power of the Lord would we see working through us, working through our congregations, working through our associations, working through our sister churches? What kind of, what kind of uh, vocabulary fails me? What kind of transformation would we see in our world? I would venture to say that we'd see a transformation kind of like what started at Pentecost. 
Because remember at Pentecost, those brothers and sisters, they had some advantages that we didn't have, that we don't have. They had physically, with their eyes, seen the resurrected Lord. They had reached out, some of them, and touched Him with their hand. They had known Him in life. They had seen Him die. They had seen Him go into a tomb. And then several days later, they see Him up and walking around talking to them. They'd heard Him. They'd seen Him. They'd touched Him. They'd felt Him. They knew Him. Given our current penchant for a little bit of pride and arrogance, what if that had been us? Would we, would we be maybe a little prone to speak in our own power? Listen to what I've seen. I'm an authority because I saw it. But those brothers and sisters, they knew that even their personal experience was not enough to change the world. Even their personal testimony was not enough to change an unregenerate heart. Amen. So they didn't go in their own strength. Instead, they obeyed. They agreed together to wait on him. And in the quiet calm of their surrender in that upper room, in the quiet calm of surrender, they got out of God's way. And when they got out of His way, then with the sound of a mighty rushing wind and with tongues of fire, the power of God and His glory shone at full strength through them. And 3,000 souls were saved that day. 3,000 weren't saved because Peter was an eloquent preacher. They were saved because he was a surrendered servant. The crowds didn't marvel because of the church's impassioned worship like the shows that some of our factory churches put on today hoping to impress people into the kingdom. The crowds didn't marvel at that. They were struck and they were awed and dumbfounded by the power of Almighty God working through a surrendered people. So what if we could get out of the way? It's not hopeless, and that's why I said be encouraged, because just in our first prayer, we start to get out of the way. All it takes is a tiny sliver. Three to six percent. Can you imagine that? But oh, what if we could go further? What if with the Lord's help we could totally surrender? Move completely out of the way and be totally yielded. I asked you to pray for me that I might be able to get out of the way tonight. And that's why. Because I could have the fanciest manuscript here. I could have the most well... I don't have a manuscript in case that irks anyone. I have a few notes that I made, but... But I could, I could have a well-crafted speech. I, I could have a Spurgeonette 
Charles Hadley Spurgeon. I'm sure yours are good too, but I'm talking, to, I'm, I'm talking about the elder Spurgeon. I could have a sermon by the Prince of Preachers. And if I'm in the Lord's way, That's right. all I've done is wasted a few moments of your time. But if I can get out of his way, I can sit up here and blubber and flail. And you may still see the power of God. Amen. So church, let's pray. Let's pray for the humility and the surrender to be able to get out of his way. So that we do not eclipse the glory of the sun. Because when we eclipse his glory, we have none left. We know that from the Lord's prayer. Jesus said, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. He didn't say which kingdom. Because it was any kingdom. He didn't say which power because it's all power belongs to him. And he didn't say which glory. Because all glory belongs to him. And if we as a church of the living God have any glory, it's not ours. But it is a reflection of his because we've gotten out of his way. And we've allowed him to work. Another thing that struck me there is we had to use those glasses. What a big deal was made about those glasses. Those cheap little paper, not even really cardboard glasses. But they were really cool things because, you know, we can't look at the sun. You know, they, they kept going nuts as though people would just stare at the sun. But it hurts to even try. So I don't know how anyone did it. We can't look at the sun. It would destroy our eyes because there's so much power, so much light, so much glory in that orb in the sky that it would destroy our eyes. So we had to have these glasses, very, very dark tinted glasses, almost welder's lenses. And I could put those on and I could stare right at it. And what was really creepy about it was so obscured was the light of the sun in totality that I had to take the glasses off to see it. The same is true if we try to look on the glory of the Lord. In our flesh, we can't look on him. We'd be destroyed. Even Moses, faithful a servant as he was, the Lord told him to his face, you can't look at me, you'll die. Isaiah looked upon him in a vision. And how do I know it's a vision? Because he lived. But even in a vision, Isaiah looked upon the glory of the Lord and said, Woe is me! Because I have seen the Lord. We can't look upon him. But yet we see it. When we get out of his way, or when we're amidst a congregation that has gotten out of his way and we begin to see the glory of the Lord unfolding, kind of like we did earlier with the singing, we catch a glimpse. And it's like we're looking through those glasses. It's the only way we can behold it. In fact, Scripture tells us something of that. 
We see through a glass darkly. Let me see if I can find it. For now we see through a glass darkly. But one day, then, face to face, when this flesh is purified, when God's almighty power completes my transformation and this flesh is no more. When this fleshly temple gets completely out of his way and is destroyed and is replaced with a glorified body, then I can behold his glory face to face. No glasses needed. Oh, what a blessed hope. And we push toward that. We push toward that prize. We, we let that hope be the anchor for our souls. As we push forward. And seeing that we have this ministry. Amen. We push on. Not deceitfully handling the word of God. But holding forward all truth. And praying Lord. Move us out of the way. Let us reflect your glory. And not block it. And if we can only reflect 3% today, then isn't that a glorious 3%? But, oh, Lord, as we go from day to day, let us move a little further out of the way, moving toward letting Him shine through 100%. May we push toward a fully surrendered life, individually and as a congregation and as congregations. Something like Pentecost can happen again. And it will happen again. When we are as yielded to the Lord as they were that early church. Those first believers who weren't arrogant about their personal experience with the Lord. But because of their personal experience with the Lord knew how humble they were. And in all humility, waited on him. When his glory shines through a congregation like that, the world loves the darkness, but they can't stand the light. So they'll either run screaming from it or ask, what must I do to be saved? And isn't that what we want? Amen. We're not in the saving business. We can't save anybody. And if we did, it wouldn't last very long. But what we can do is reflect the light of the glory of God so that sinners come crying out, what must I do to be saved? And we can tell them, and then it's up to them. But God honors the seeker's heart. We know that. How do we know that? From our personal experience. So let's get out of the business of trying to trying to keep metrics. 
I mean, I know to some degree any church membership role, you can go through and count the members, but let's not take a census of our strength. And David did that once. It didn't end very well for him. So many of the factory churches are all into the metrics. How many people said they were saved? How many people were baptized? Doesn't matter. Amen. How many times did we get out of the Lord's way and let his glory shine through us? That's how we'll be judged. The Lord's not going to judge us based on how many other people repented. The Lord's going to judge us on how faithful we were to let him work through us.